Welcome. Welcome back, everyone, to the Fastest Known Podcast. Talking, as always, with some of the fastest known people today is certainly no exception, because I'm talking with someone that, gosh, I apologize to our guests because I had not heard of this person, but she is way faster than me, way faster than you, I think. And so we're going to get to know Allie McLaughlin a little bit better. Thanks for joining us, Allie. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Well, just so people know a little bit, you uh, live in Colorado Springs. We're going to talk about your job, which is film producer. But I first met you, or I didn't really meet you, it was at the, when was this? One month ago at the Moab Trail Marathon, Yeah, where I didn't quite see you because you were like hours ahead of me. But I saw you get your award medal. You finished first for the second year in a row. And this is the USATF National Trail Marathon Championship. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, um, Moab, uh, It's even if it wasn't the US Championships, I think I will do it not every year, but as much as I can because it's a. I just love the course. Right. Uh, here's a shameless plug for all your listeners, Moab Trail Marathon and Half Marathon. It's a fantastic course put on by the legendary Danelle Ballingee. And so if anyone's looking for a trail marathon, Ellie and I are in agreement. Go do this one. Yes. It's uh, in the, always the first Saturday in November, also a half marathon. The half marathon, I don't think you've ever done this, Allie, but it finishes up running down Cane Creek, shin deep water. I heard that this year. And like... <laughs> I, I just got into marathon, so I always had thought about doing the half, but now, like, since the marathon is the big deal there lately, I do the marathon, but I heard about everyone doing the half, and I'm like, oh, I would love to try to get a good time on that some year. And then I heard, like, how much water there was this year. I was like, ooh, dodge that bullet. <laughs> <laughs> dodge that bullet. Well, you're not a big mm. person, if I recollect. I saw you go up there and get your medal, and you're, you're just a super fast person, very petite. Yeah, I'm 4'11", so like that water probably would have been up to my waist or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, and people ask, like people who aren't into running so much, they uh, they kind of wonder like how I keep up or like think tall people would have an advantage. And I mean, anyone in the running community knows we come in all shapes and sizes. But um, yeah, as far as Moab, I think partially why I am successful on that course is um, I really like the agility of like the, the first four miles are just like kind of rock hopping. And um, yeah, I, I kind of, I get ahead there. And then, um, and then just the atmosphere of Moab is kind of like my second home. Um, I had this year, I had some of my base jumper friends on the course and right around mile 13, I think. Well, it's right, right before 13, where we come out of Hunter's Canyon. Um, they were all up on a cliff and they, Cacat me like they kind of we planned what time I'd pass and then they knew like they know what I look like and what I was going to be wearing and so um, I saw them I cacod back and they jumped and stuff like that in Moab just like I have <laughs> so much energy so um yeah I think yeah I think uh, that's where I get my <laughs> good races in Moab from. <laughs> Wow. That's a good story. <laughs> it, I was euphoric. I like, I look back at my post I made and I was like, I'm still, I still feel excited about it. But I was like, I remember that feeling like, 
oh gosh, I was like definitely high on life that whole day. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get to base jumping in a minute. Okay. So- <laughs> wow. What, what other marathon, trail marathon course can someone jump? I mean, they could have, I didn't see this, but when you were coming out of Hunter Canyon, I was like 200 feet away from you, right? But 500 feet above you because I was on the Hunter Creek Trail and you were down on the road. And so, you know, right, there's just this little 500 foot cliff in between us. Totally. Yes, that that's right. I had to think a second, but yes, that's how it works. You're like, it's in when we come out of that first canyon, we're not far from the start, but we ran 10 miles. It really just loops back and there's so much terrain there. You're right. That 10 miles is action packed. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, this is terrific. So being a very petite person, you mentioned four foot 11, but you're very nimble. So on a course like this, you feel that, of course, like you said, runners to emphasize come in all shapes, colors, and sizes and genders. So we just let that go right out of the gate. But you feel that a technical course might help you because you can just rock hop quickly. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because there's, there's been years or seasons or races that like, I feel like I'm not as good at that. Um, like on Pike's Peak, even though I do well, I do better on the smooth part. And then when it gets real like rocky, I start to walk a little or like power hike more, but something about Moab that it's flowy and there's rocks, I can just kind of skip across. And I think, yeah, I think some people get a little more like careful, but um, I just, I try to look ahead kind of, you know, like at an angle, look a few steps ahead and I'm just constantly picking my line ahead of time. And I've also dirt biked a lot of those trails, not, not like the crazy ones, but like the first four miles I've dirt biked a couple of times and just uh, having that in my head, like I, I know where I've taken my dirt bike because you have to be very particular about which line you're taking. Wait, but let's hit the pause button here. You've motoed Pritchett Canyon. I I, I have. Wait, that- wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for people who don't know Pritchett Canyon, I mean, there, there's pitches there where you have to put your hand on the rock in order to get up or down it. Yes, it is. Um, so after we had done it, we... Um, I did it with my friend Tate Pullman. He's a very good trail runner as well, living in Colorado now. And we were out there both um, film, or I was filming. He's a journalist. We were both out there covering the Moab 240. And we decided after the first day station, we're like, oh, let's let's go take the bikes out. And um, we were just, I, we both knew that was the marathon course. So we were like, oh, let's go down there. Yeah, it is way more difficult <laughs> riding a dirt bike. And then we met this guy who was like su- just riding alone, super helpful on some of the technical parts. Um, and uh, but he said Pritchett Canyon is the hardest ride in Moab. <laughs> and <laughs> in a lot. Yes, I can. Um, <laughs> I, I understand why now. Um, it was quite quite a ride. I mean, we had to hike our bikes up a few spots. Um, but yeah, but just having done it on the dirt bike, like you, I had so much in my head that like, I did not forget that, um, yeah, those first four miles, I, uh, I know what's coming. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm, 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 I'm uh, gasping for air here trying to admit, because, uh, Pritchett is, there's 10 foot high ledges there. So, I mean, the Jeeps 
I mean, no stock vehicle can possibly do this, no matter what it is. So it has to be a desert-specific rock crawler. You know, where the, oh, the tire, when the, when the wheel touches the rock, there's no fender, there's no engine compartment, there's no frame. The wheel's got to touch that rock. And even so, there's one pitch there, two pitches. They've installed anchor bolts at the top to hook yeah. winches on to get themselves up. So do you take a dirt bike up there? I'm going, Wow. Yeah. Um, well, and I actually, one of the times I ran it, um, there were, there was a pickup truck. I mean, he was definitely jacked up and built for it, but I have a picture of him trying to get up one of the parts. Um, and it's so fun when you're running cause it makes you feel faster cause you're passing all these like ATVs, <laughs> you're totally, you know, you're, you're um, blowing by the ATVs yeah. like you're standing still, which they actually are. It, totally. I have a picture of one. I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll have to send you after this and maybe you can show viewers or something, but as far as, um, dirt biking yeah i have a funny story and i think tate would be fine me telling it so we came to this one part and we were um it was you know where there's like it's basically like giant stairs you know because you go up and then you come down these rock stairs and uh what i do on my dirt bike sometimes yeah i i'm pretty skilled i've been doing it for a while but i'm not like consistent but uh if i get to like a scary point that i just have to go sometimes i just like rev the engine and close my eyes and i did that at this point you know just boom 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 and just held on and i made it down and little butt cheek clincher but um i made it and then so like i look back and this was tate had just started riding so he had probably only been riding for like a month and he's on the most technical course in Moab. And so he's just waiting up there and you can tell he's like, I don't really want to do this. Um, but the guy we were riding with gets off his bike and he was like, you know what? It's fine. Like I'm standing right here. You're not going to go over the handlebars. Just take this line, just give it enough gas, go down this line, this line, this line. And, uh, and I'm watching from the bottom and he, he said it again. He's like, you're fine. You're not going to go over your handlebars. And then see, goes down first first step goes straight over his handlebar <laughs> i was like man this is a movie but anyways again just to show how technical it is for dirt bikes and motorized vehicles that it's hard to run but it's a lot harder on a vehicle <laughs> wow okay so here's a little theme with trail and particularly mountain runners is oftentimes I'm, I'm speaking, such as you are, with really good athletes, all-around athletes. Sometimes in the world of running, road running, I wouldn't say that. My apologies to certain people. Sorry to say this. But gosh, I've seen people who have been very successful. I go on for runs with them on very, really easy trails that you could easily bike. I could gravel bike. And they're having trouble like a, a, you know, a two by 12 plank across a creek and they're on their hands and knees. But you sort of exemplify the true mountain runner where you're a multi-sport athlete. You're a good all-around athlete who also runs. Thank you. Yeah. I And I, I take um, value in like keeping other sports because running's not always, you're not always super healthy and stuff. So it's good to have other hobbies. And I think maybe part of the road the the people who are more just running part of it's mental too i think a lot of people are scared to do other things for getting hurt and and stuff but if you can overcome that i think it's really good to branch out and for fitness wise but also just mentally like not just be so set on one thing there's right. other things to do for fun <laughs> <laughs> and i also appreciate that in terms of injury oh yeah i mean if you're Running injuries, of course, are pervasive. 
if you run, you're going to get a running injury and it can be quite small and prevent you from running, but you can still bike. You can still do other things. Totally. And that's, I had hip surgery and didn't run for almost a year. And uh, that's when I ended up getting into skydiving. And what I... Oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're, you're, you're taking me aback. This is, this is such a fun conversation. So we were just talking about injuries, right? Yeah. Now you quick switched. Well, I got injuries, so I switched to skydiving. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> skydiving might not be thing you want to do if you're trying to prevent injury. 100%. However, I still have this joke that is true for now is that I've gotten hurt running way more than I have skydiving and that, you know, I don't know if that's going to be true forever, but I'm, I'm not, I don't push crazy limits. Like a lot of skydivers who have gotten hurt. Um, sometimes it's just a fluke. Like I have a very good friend who broke her back and she, she was doing nothing crazy. Just the wind clipped her at the end and yeah, things it is, um, skydiving is risky, but it's also relatively safe too. If, uh, if you don't do crazy stuff and it's like, other than the landing, you are, uh, gravity free when you're, you, so like, it's not stress on the body. And that's what I found is like, it takes a lot of skill to be good in the air. There's different disciplines and stuff, but the actual act of just like jumping, having fun and pulling your chute really doesn't take a lot of fitness. And so it was something I could do, or like if I'm injured or, uh, or even if I'm like super healthy, just on my days off, like it's something so exhilarating that doesn't really take too much energy out of me <laughs> to go fall out of a plane. Well, of course, I could make a a dark joke. Well, I will make okay, a dark yeah, joke, absolutely. Which is, you nobody gets injured skydiving. Yeah, I, I see where you're going with that. Yes, it's right. usually you either yes you either die or or it's like you break everything and then you're paralyzed maybe, but um. But there's a lot of just ankle breaks here and there. And so like, um, but I think that like adds to the rush of like, yeah, you're like facing death every time. And so like if, and then when you come out of it, you're just, that gives it that extra euphoria of you did something pretty cool. No consequence. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, just backing mm -hmm. up here, you've, you've, you're, have a very successful running career, just so people are aware. <clears throat> you know, night 2014 national mount running champion, uh, same year world long distance. That was was that in Pikes Peak or is that Europe? Yeah, it was. Um, that year it was Pikes Peak. Um, mm -hmm. it was uh, it was the I W World I A A F thing. Um, I'm really bad. I I love racing, but I don't always know the titles. <laughs> but um, it was a world race. Um. All the countries came out for it. So I had a little home turf advantage for the worlds, which was once in a lifetime thing usually. Pikes Peak, right? Yeah. And this year, um, you did the, the double, which is, oh my gosh, you, which means for people who don't know, the double is a classic thing at Pikes Peak. The Saturday is the ascent only, which you won. The next day, the next day, you did the marathon. <laughs> And good old Stevie Krimmer. Yeah. Stevie's back with a vengeance. And so, so she edged you out in the marathon. You were second in the marathon, which is pretty stout for being a doubler. But Pikes Peak is your is your thing. You like the you like it. You know, I, I, I love it. 
And I will say though, this was the first year I, the last, even though like I've had some really great finishes and races in my career, I really don't race that much. So I kind of, I just, I had these like great wins, but I didn't really do anything else. And this was the first year I started actually racing, like doing a lot more things. And, and then, and because, of, I mean, not because of that, but I think the more you put yourself out there, the more likely you're going to have some not so great races. And that was like, actually like really mentally hard this summer. I had some not good races and, uh, yeah, that was kind of a slap in the face, but at the end of the season, it was like the best thing that could happen. Cause it, it makes, I don't know. It just like, kind of like brought me down to like focus more and, and also made the good times so much better. And so anyways, <laughs> where I'm going with this is, yeah, I really only would race a few a year and it was always Pike's Peak. And I thought like, and of course I loved it because I was one of the only ones I did and it's in, and it's home and I love that mountain. But this year I did Broken Arrow and then I did Moab again. And I'm finding after doing Broken Arrow, I was like, oh gosh, like Pike's Peak is cool, but I loved Broken Arrow because it wasn't all up and then all down. It was a loop. So basically you are like topping out and then coming back down, but it was flowing. Um, and not like super flowy, like Moab. I mean, there's definitely some big climbs, but I'm realizing the all up and all down, like is kind of like mentally monotonous. <laughs> and so, um, I still will do Pike's Peak and stuff, but I'm realizing how much I enjoy other courses now too. Wow. Good call. Pike's Peak, the bar trail specifically it's world-class. So we have the World Mountain Range Championships there and part of the Golden Trail Series and things like that are perfectly appropriate. So I'm just calling out Pikes Peak right now. It's a world-class course because of what you said. Yeah. It's completely runnable. Oh, yes. The bar, yeah. the bar trail is a run, but you're getting like 7,000 feet of vert on a completely runnable course, you know, up, back down again. <laughs> so, man, unless you're ready for that, you're going to put a world of hurt on your quads. Yeah. And like, I I think also just that elevation so quickly in 13 miles, like your whole body actually feels it. I mean, I, this year I was fine. I know last year, maybe it was a little smoky, but I was really dizzy at the top and then you have to turn around and come down and you get over it quick, but it really drains you way more than Okay, so it, it it the Pikes Peak Marathon versus Moab Marathon. I mean, I was exhausted at the end, but but halfway, I feel way more energized in Moab than Pikes Peak. You're just like, oh, shot in the middle of it, and then you're like, I still have 13 miles to go down. Right. I think it's one of the hardest one of the hardest races in the world for that reason. Yeah. The, the pacing is completely different than anything else because you're in the marathon. You're gonna go almost all out to the top yes there, there isn't that much difference between stopping the top and when you're basically at you know 95 percent out you're going to turn around and run 13 miles back down and you're going to do that by just lifting up your knee and putting that foot in front you know what i mean you're out of gas for 13 miles and you're just going to point it downhill and survive it you're so right like and the the ascent just the ascent versus the ascent of the marathon portion. Like I feel the same, like might as well just go back down during the ascent. Cause I, okay. I'm not really making sense, but yes, it's, I feel like 
you can't really go that much easier going up on the marathon. Like it's going to be tough no matter what. And then coming down, and I, I still go by this, but it's not necessarily true. I'm like, oh, well, the downhill, you just, you just go down. Like you'll, it's downhill. It's easy. But no, you still feel the having to run. And the first time I did it last year, um, I only took one gel. And because um, I, I wasn't used to eating on runs. I never ran that far. And then I was like, oh, who needs food? Like, I'll just take a gel and on the way down, I'll be fine. Yeah. Like, not only did I fall a couple times, by bar camp coming down, I got so incredibly, like, tired. Like, I felt like I could go take a nap on the side of the trail. It was one of the most awful feelings. And I was like, if this is what marathons are like, I never want to do them again. <laughs> um, but as side weird as it is I had a little tiny bottle of Kahlua with me because it was a thing my friends and I would do at the end of the race so I was like oh just carry it with you and then right at the finish line but that so I already ate my gel and all I had was Kahlua and there's aid stations but like I just like the thought of like actually eating something or I, and there wasn't an aid station where I was at the time so um I drank the Kahlua on the way down and I joked I'm like I think it saved my life because I seriously thought I was gonna pass out um and so I had to walk a bunch there and then I ended up getting passed and then got a little boost of energy. I held on for third, but uh, learned so much in that race about nutrition. And um, yeah, I, I'm very on top of my gels now. And I'm so thankful I learned that quick in a hurry. Eating is a good thing. Yes, so much. The first time I did Pike's Peak, as I tended to do back then, oops, maybe I shouldn't be divulging this. I did. I just poached it. I just showed up the start nice. line. Awesome. I love it. And I thought, well, you know, I don't deserve any of this. So I didn't eat or drink. Oh, okay. Good for you. I, I, I took a little drink out of French Creek, just right out of the creek. Other than <laughs> oh that, gosh. I had nothing to eat for the entire thing. Oh, that, yeah. And like you that. said, you learn quickly. Mm -hmm. This is not a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Totally. And it's, it's amazing even just what a little bit can do and, and not getting behind even like, I mean, I'm never really hungry in a race, but it's easy to just like sit down stuff. So you just like, my key is like usually 45 minutes in is that's when I start just take, um, take something. Right. Well, my son Galen who has been quite successful at Pike's Peak. He said he makes a point of walking through the aid station. Oh, good. Wow. You know, because you yeah. could run through it and grab something. But he says, I am going to take walking steps through the aid station because that's the trigger to intake food and fluid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually really smart because like, and I, I saw some people do that um, in, in the mirror or like I rewatched video of the top. I like when I, my first time up there, I raced through the aid station at the top and then I saw... Um, Ashley Brasovin, um, who many people probably know, I saw a video of her. She like stopped and filled up her water bottle. And I was like, oh, maybe like just taking like a second is not going to like hurt your race. Um, so yeah, his, same with your son. Okay. I'm going to remember that. Well, good. I, I learned that at about age 55. So <laughs> you're ahead of me. I appreciate that. Well, sticking with Pike's Peak just a little while longer, because again, we both think it's an epic course and and race matt carpenter i think we've all heard of matt still lives in manitou springs but he did this infamous or famous training regimen called three two ones yeah you familiar with that he drove to the top and then ran down to uh, uh the a-frame and then back up 
you know, and so he, he did the three, two, one, uh, like interval training, but at, you know, 13 to 14,000 feet. Yeah. Yes. I've heard a lot about that. And like, yeah, it's a great, you, you get like 12 miles and you really get that high altitude. To be honest, I have never done it. However, this year, uh, I know a lot of friends who do it. Um, yes, he's a legend for that. Like, I mean, he's a legend for a lot of reasons, but there's, that's a known workout around here, three, two, ones. And, uh, <laughs> but this year I did, um, I did go with some friends. We'd go up to devil's playground, which is, it's, uh, I think it's 12,000 or something. Um, and, and then there's a two mile trail up the back area or along the highway that gets you to the top. Um, and then, and then we'd go down. So the only thing I did, I went up that and then I went down two miles and back up. Um, so I never did the full workout, but just uh, being up above tree line and driving up there too, when you get out of the car and start running, you're like, cool, you're like fresh. And it hits you so quick <laughs> versus like when you start from the bottom, you gradually like you get into it. But yeah, just getting out of the car, starting up there is pretty rough. Uh, but yeah, I need to do a three, two, one sometime. I'm sure it would be very difficult. Right. Well, right. And part of that is emotional, you know, part of it, you're doing emotional training as well. Scott Elliott was the eight time winner of the Pikes Peak Ascent. He used to spend the night at bar camp. Actually, I'm not sure if that helped him at all, but you have this feeling that you own it, that it's yours and no one can beat you. I, I mean, Honestly, I just feel like that living here, even though half of the people I race live here, but I think we all have like a connection to the mountain in some ways. And mine actually is more the incline, which is at the base. It's um, a mile of stairs that go up at the base of the mountain. And that's kind of like my territory that I, not my territory, but that's where I like to go. And just having that connection with the mountain, no matter who you're racing, you still feel like you you know, it's partly yours. <laughs> your yeah, turf. it's your turf. Yes. <laughs> you can say it. You feel it's your turf. Yes. All the early mornings and weekends spent there. Uh, yeah. And turns out Moab is your turf also. That was that was interesting. <laughs> I was not aware of that. So and, yes. uh, when I went, came out of Hunter Creek, there weren't any uh, base, base jumpers waiting. <laughs> over me. No, I, I didn't get that. But uh, you deserved it. Well, oh, sticking with this one for a second, Manitou Incline, I think most people know that. This is an old cog railway, so it was uber steep. And so you know, the, the train couldn't go up the tracks unless it you know, was gripped on. Of course, they pulled the rails out long ago, but the incline is still there. It's uber steep, and you have the female FKT on the Manitou Incline. I do. Yes. And to clarify, I mean, I do have the FKT on Strava by like just a few seconds from Kim Dobson, but like whether it's official or not before I had a real Garmin or uh, Strava was big um, in 2010, 2010, I did 2007. Um, So that's like what I consider my record and like Wikipedia might say it, but if we're going by Strava, it's 22 15 or something, which is kind of a big difference, but like, um, but at the same time, it's still, I think they're both pretty good times. Um, but yeah, the 2007, I was in college partially injured. I had like a, um, tendonitis thing, but stairs didn't bother it. So I did it three times a week and then I would swim on the other days. And, uh, 
that's all I did for like a week straight. And by the end of the summer in August, I did it actually with a group of uh, old high school friends. Um, a couple of them ran for the Air Force Academy, WCAP. And uh, yeah, we uh, we raced it. And um, uh, I actually got outstepped by who had the, his name's Matt Williams. And he was, uh, he, we, him and I were kind of the main ones going head to head and he outstepped me, but like, I still got 2007. I wanted to break 20, but it's lived on. So I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Mm. This is a great story. So I think you ran for the university of Colorado. I did. Yes. <laughs> but you drove down or how did this work? Oh, yeah. I don't know. So I, it was the summer I was home in Colorado Springs for the summer, um, kind of injured and, uh, yeah, even if I like wasn't injured, I just always came home during the summers. And uh, yeah, so I lived in the springs for like four months that or like whenever summer was. And uh, and I did the England a bunch. <laughs> I see. Well, I hope listeners caught that. So this was did it three times a week and otherwise swam. And you got an FKT that still t- stands 10 years later out of that training regimen. That's kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah. And, but I feel like the incline is like, you can be in really good running shape and do fantastic on it. But I think there is also, it's its own, it's its own beast. And so if you actually train on it a lot, I I have two thoughts here. I think if you train on it a lot, you're going to get better at it, but there is, there is a line. I think training too much on it just burns you out like physically and mentally. So I think there's a sweet spot and honestly, I'll never do it three times, three times a week ever again. And so that's why people are like, Oh, you going to try to break your record. And I'm like, I would love to, but if it's more doing it more than twice a week, even like, no, thank you. It's just, I enjoy other running now. I don't want to <laughs> spend all that time going upstairs. Right, right. But you still have that talent. You, know, you mentioned you did Broken Arrow this year, and you were a triple crowner. Yeah. You finished first in the VK, a vertical kilometer, first in the 50K. Then, like you said, the third one, well, I'm probably a little tired, slipped to eighth in the 26K. But the VK, this is still your wheelhouse, isn't it? You know what? Yeah, thanks for saying that, because honestly, winning that VK was kind of a shock to me, because I have had, I mean, in years past, not at all. But like this year, I've just struggled in the shorter stuff. I can't tell you what it what what it is. Just um, I found I I'm doing better in longer stuff. But I couldn't make up my mind what I wanted to do, and I've been just enjoying. I love the multi day thing, so I was like, I'm just gonna do them all. And so I really wasn't taking the VK super seriously. It was kind of like a, I mean, I, I and I do not say that like to my competitor. I'm not saying that in like a bad way, but. I, I realized I perform better if I don't take it super seriously. Um, so like, it was like, Oh, well, you know, I have three days of this and just go out for the VK. And I even wore a little camera on my, um, it's, uh, it's called the Insta 360 and you, it's a magnet that like you can stick on your chest. It's really cool. And so I made this video, it recorded the whole time. So I have a POV of the whole VK race. Um, but yeah, the fact, I don't know. It just, I've had trouble on short races. I just, my legs get like seize up going out too fast. And by mile two, I, which is halfway up the VK, I was feeling so good. I was like, oh my gosh, this is such, so exciting because it's just been a rough season of like not feeling well. And when I felt good halfway through the VK, it just, it really like boosted my, 
my morale and uh yeah i kept going and i was able to win it so that was fun a quick note nobody feels good halfway through a VK. (laughs) (laughs) well you're right and so like maybe i really didn't feel that great but compared to like the rest of the season i was like man i'm still running like usually i'm like having a power hike by then and um and there's actually this one guy oh i feel so bad i can't remember his name but um I was with him at like mile two and he like, he was really fun. He started talking a bunch and, or just, he was like, all right, you here, you're really good on the flatter sections. Like you need to take it from here. And then all, if we can catch that guy by mile three. And I'm just like, what is going on? <laughs> like, I didn't know we were like partners in this race, but it turned <laughs> out to be super like helpful, just like motivating, having someone to talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow so let's stay with this this one for a minute do you do weight training you know vk is is, is it's just power i mean cardiovascular power so besides running swimming and we're still going to get to skydiving here do you do any weight training what do other things do you do i used to be obsessed with weight training in high school um i did a lot of lifting and like i know i'm tiny but i had um I got a, a lot of records for my weight class, which was still like way more than I was in the 105 and below. Um, so I was still like, again, up against girls who were a lot bigger than me. But um, I squatted in high school, I squatted 175 and I weighed 85 pounds. Oh my <laughs> um, gosh. Yeah. Over double. <laughs> so, um, and like, I just, I don't know. I loved lifting. I, I loved doing it. And I loved the thought of like being strong and being able to do it. And, uh, and in college, we kind of phased out just cause our program wasn't as big on it. And then, and then I lifted again after college and then, and then life gets busy. Like you have a full-time job, this and that. And, um, and it gets harder to fit in everything. And I know we all have 24 hours in a day. I think that's kind of an excuse, but like, but it just seemed like, if I had to prioritize something, I was going to at least get my run in. And I just slowly stopped lifting. And then I realized I didn't like miss it a ton. And my performance in running didn't change a whole lot. And so um, I don't do it. I, I actually haven't done it in like a year. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I miss being stronger or whatever. But like, again, I don't notice a whole difference in my running. And if that's what really matters to me, um, I got to, yeah, I got to work too. So yeah. Gotta work too. Yeah. And so you you like lifting, but you don't really feel that it contributes to your running. You know, it I I don't know for sure, but uh and you know, I maybe I sh- I did used to be a few minutes faster on the gl- incline. Maybe that was part of it. Um and so but like in general, like no, and I'm I feel like I've been healthy and sometimes when I haven't lifted and I go back to the weight room something happens. I get start getting like a weird injury or something. So I'm like, I'm just not going to mess with it for now. But I always have the idea of in winter of starting to lift more. So I might this winter I do, I'm hoping to do or planning, I should say, I just don't want to get injured. I am, um, I'm in the Mount Marathon race next year, um, up in Alaska. And, uh, for people who don't know, it's like super crazy 5k straight up, straight down. Um, very technical, um, but yeah, but I'm like, oh, maybe I should start like getting some leg strength for that uphill. So, yeah. And the downhill. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <But> my, <laughs> my plan for the downhill, I've thought, I don't want to start training quite yet just because it's like, 
so intense. I don't want to get hurt training for it. So part of me is like, I'll do a little training for the downhill, but I'm thinking of just like, it's just like, you just got to send it mentally. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, that's going to be like 50% of my tactic is just, uh, just winging it when I get there. <laughs> oh, that is attitude. Attitude helps a lot in something like a mountain marathon, right? People totally. often ask me about <clears throat> techniques for running downhill and I'll give you my quote, which people used to get mad at me because they said it wasn't helpful, but I think you're going to relate to this. How do you run faster downhill? And I would say, increase your capacity for joy. Oh, I love it. Because you know, you, you read, pick up a magazine, they tell you this, you know, do this with your knee, do this with your arms. It's like, yeah, but the people who are really good at this, they're not thinking that. Yeah, no. And um, actually, my friend Christina, very similar to what you said, just like, increase your joy, like have fun with it. And she gave me one of the best. Um, she's a very good downhiller, but uh, best advice is like, you got to remember to run. And I'm like, that is so smart. Because like, when I go downhill, I think I start to relax too much. I feel like, oh, this is, you know, this is time to like, catch my brother whatever and it's like no you gotta keep running um he in whether it's like a smooth downhill or even technical you you can't let your mind wander because you'll start to like ease up but yes so keep your joy and keep moving forward <laughs> wow mount marathon love it that's a that's a great plan so i just kind of finish up with this what so see you you ran for mark wetmore one of the most legendary coaches in the sport so how is your I, mean, I know we're bouncing all over your career here, Allie, but gosh, everything you say is extremely interesting. <laughs> Thank you. So how did your uh, year or, or four years, I think, as a buff go? Yeah. Um, you know, I uh, loved that program and loved it there. I did not have the – my freshman year went amazing. I got fifth at NCAA cross country um, as a freshman. So like my first three months there, um, super cool, super special, like – really found a new level of running with them with Wetmore and and a joy for it. And then after nationals, um, you know, you take a little time off around Thanksgiving and then we start back up and actually there's no rhyme or reason. I started to get tendonitis in my ankle and um, I was actually at home over Christmas when it started and I don't think I was like overdoing anything, but yeah, I got this bad tendonitis and it took several months to get better. I ran, I did run an indoor track race in Washington in that January. And, um, it was a three K I think I was like nine, I ran nine twenty or something. And then it was really pain. Like it was painful afterwards, but I did it. And then it just like lasted for months and then trying to come back, get into shape after that, I got a sacrum stress fracture. So that took me out the fall. And then I came back in the spring and got some, got a heel stress fracture. So it was, and then I never really raced. Um, I raced a home meet maybe my senior year on track on the track, but never really raced again. And uh, so thankful for Mark and Heather there. They like were so patient. Like they would always, they would even when I was like semi healthy, I would run maybe half what the other girls were running, but they want wanted me to run with the team. So if the other girls are doing fourteen, I'd run seven with them and. Mark or Heather would drive the van out and come pick me up. Like they went above and beyond and, and they would do that for a lot of, they like, they, you know, people think they run people into the ground and I will never, never 
say that happened to me. They did everything they could. I was just, I was in a terrible cycle of just not being able to get back. And something was always, something always was breaking right when I tried to come back. I don't think I ever had the full, I think that's just the college nature. It's you're always in season. So you're always trying to get back in shape. And, and, uh, and that was me too. Like it wasn't them always pushing me. It was me like frantic trying to do everything I could to get in shape and going too fast. So yes. So to sum it up, um, had a great freshman first season and then, uh, then never really ran again. Um, but I stuck it out all four years and, and then, um, I took like a year off almost and, uh, and found trail running and then took it from there. And I, I love running. And so I don't think I'll, yeah, there's hard years, there's hard seasons, but you always come back to it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's an excellent story because that's a good behind the scenes look because as you know, CU, they're national contenders every year, Yeah, both in the female and the men's team. And I I mentioned Mark Wetmore, but I should have mentioned Heather Burroughs also, which you just did. So thank you for mentioning Heather. And so this is helpful to hear that they took care of you. There wasn't the big push. Did you hear about, of course, the Nike program on our podcast about a year ago? Um, We we had on someone who wrote a book on Salazar and the Nike Oregon project. And so we were kind of always wondering, what's it like, particularly for a young female? You know, are you getting pushed around? Are you, is your health being harmed? And so I'm really happy to hear that the CU program was supportive of you. Oh yeah. All the way through. And I try to, you know, I don't go out of my way to vocalize that. I've kind of, I hear the stuff that goes on in colleges and the stuff that came out of Oregon and wherever. And I'm not, I don't really like speak up out of place necessarily, but if people come to me, like I will, I'll defend Mark and Heather, my experience quite a bit. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you for, thank you for sharing. That makes me feel, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I kind of take trail running personally and our sport sort of personally. And so I like it when people are healthy and supportive of other people. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. I, if I hear of a trail runner who littered, I kind of get a little upset. It's like, wait, we don't do that. And totally. It puts a bad name for every. Yes. We, we want to <laughs> like, we want everyone to uh, behave. So we all have a good name. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Well, th- well, thanks again for sharing that. So you've, um, let's go back. And by the way, the, <laughs> the listeners should re- go to the written show notes because you submitted photos. Thank you. And one of them is that look of euphoria on your face. And so we're having this lovely verbal conversation. It's this nice audio podcast, but go to the written show notes because you're going to see Allie Mack skydiving. And the look on your face is worth going to the show notes to see. <laughs> yes, that that actually, that jump was in Moab. So there's another Moab. Now, this is skydiving. Do you do base? Okay, I have not yet. Um, the reason I got I'm not trying to talk you into oh, it. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. It's been my plan for five years. Um, I actually met some base jumpers in Moab and got to hike with them in 2016. And uh, for one, the community, I mean, run, just like running, like we love each other, like really cool community. The base and skydiving community is another level. Like it's, it's a truly a family. And yes, there's drama, like, cause especially like it's, it's tight knit when you're at the drop zone, like there is drama, but like also 
you we run into each other all across the world and just the most welcoming non-judgmental group of people that I just I, I love anyways they had invited me to go on a hike and um and watch them base jump and it was so amazing and then uh my friend and I we had to hike down and they waited like you know, hiking down takes way longer. And these two guys waited for us the whole time. And when I got down, I was like, who, what, when, where, why, how can I get into this? <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, well, you should probably learn to skydive first. So a few months later, I, uh, I, um, I actually had been, I was in the middle of moving to Nashville. And as soon as I got to Nashville, I, uh, went to the closest drop zone and learned to skydive. And the plan was learn to skydive, then base jump. And here five years have gone by and I have over 300 skydives, um, which sounds like a lot, but in the world of skydiving, it's not a ton, but it's, it's plenty to uh, like have a good ba- base back or a, a background to start base jumping. Um, but you know, it's interesting how life goes. There's seasons that I want to do it. And then there's seasons that are like, Oh, uh, I'm kind of scared to do it. And, uh, and I'm happy with skydiving. Um, but I, the time has come. Um, my, my hope and plan is to go out to a bridge in Idaho falls where a lot of people learn, um, next spring. Um, I was there, I was on my way to Wyoming for a race and I stopped there and you just stop there any time of year. And there's, you run it, I run into people I know, or like, if you don't know anyone, you're going to see base jumpers jumping and super welcoming group. And I saw it, it was starting to get cold though. And I was like, I just, the cold makes me nervous. So uh, I'm going to wait till next spring. So till it's warm again and um, hopefully take a week and uh, learn to base jump. <laughs> wow. And of course the, the mm-hmm. thing, the most popular base jumping location in Moab is right above the start finish line for the marathon. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm learning a lot. There's a lot more exits around, but one of the first ones I got to hike and I have so, tons of video of friends jumping it. It's called Tombstone because right on that curve of Cane Creek, uh, like it's, if you're driving into Cane Creek, it's after the parking lot for the start. And then you come around and um, to your left, it's, it's a big arch. Well, it's not an arch, but like the cliff kind of curves at the top and it looks like a big tombstone and you can, it's like a 30 minute hike up the back, totally walkable. Like you look up there and you're like, there's no way you can do that without ropes and stuff, but there's a trail that goes behind and you can get up there and it's beautiful, amazing, awesome. (laughs) Nice. Well, a friend of mine just had a zoom call with him just last night. He was uh, paragliding Yay. And oh. we had to postpone our meeting because he was in the hospital with a fractured oh, no. pelvis and a broken toe. And I said, I'm not going to mention his name. But I said, dude, what are you, what are you doing? This isn't, you know, how, how, how'd you do this? And he said, well, you know, I, I wasn't wingsuit flying. I wasn't base jumping. That, those things are dangerous. I was paragliding. I said, and of course we kind of laughed about it because it's highly relative, but heck just may someone died in Moab base jumping. Yeah, base jumping is much more dangerous than skydiving. Um, and, and like, I think some people think it's safer because you're closer to the ground, but that's actually what makes it way more dangerous because you only have one parachute. You only have a couple seconds. If if something goes wrong, you only have a couple seconds to fix it. Um, versus skydiving, you have a whole minute of free fall. And then as long as you don't pull too low, if something goes wrong with your parachute, you have a little bit of time and you have a reserve. Um, and so you have a reserve chute. If you, in base jumping, you don't have a reserve. And also in Moab versus a bridge, you have cl- you're, you have a wall. So if you do a 180, you're going straight into the wall. Um, 
But however, I think base jumping is not, I think the most deadliest dangerous is proximity flying, which is basically wingsuit base jumping where you're flying, like, yeah, flying really close to things. Um, But talking about paragliding, I wanted to get into that and maybe one day still will. But I was like, oh, that's, that's awesome. Cause you still get to hike to your destination. You don't have to take a plane like skydiving. You can hike like base jumping. And then I thought it was safer too. But then I watched uh, two people take off one time and taking off was, it was kind of windy. And the girl got like body, she like got lifted up and then the wind took her and she got body slammed into the ground. And I was like, man, that's no safer than, than skydiving at all. So they all have their risks for sure. Well, like you said, and this is sounds counterintuitive, but it's so true. The air is safe. Yes. And, but as it's long the as you're in the air, everything is fine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But the ground comes quickly. Right. And then you start measuring. I used to hang glide. And so like oh, what you wow. said, the, the, the takeoff is, is the deal. If you blow yes. the takeoff, man, it's, it's not going to be pretty. But once you get in the air, things are usually pretty good. Yeah. Wow. Hang gliding. And that's the, I only had no one person like close that I know who's done that. Um, and actually he had a crash on takeoff where he just like dove straight, fell straight down. But um, that's amazing. You did that. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. So this is interesting. Like we talked about a few minutes ago, you're a multi-sport person. Like a lot of mountain runners are uh, not a lot of people do ski mountaineering and maybe kayaking and a few other things by bicycling, but you, you like these air sports, the flying sports as Dean Potter used to call it. And you have this FKT and the Manitou incline. So if you, thought about putting this together in other ways? I mean, are there other adventures or FKTs in your future? Well, uh, I've always joked about I want to be the first person to paraglide off of the incline. (laughs) And uh, I've kind of tried to figure out because, you know, it is there are a lot of trees. So it's like, where would the launch point be? Um, But actually, um, I sometimes I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to say my idea out loud, but no, I love talking about it. Um, I'm somewhat planning a, well, actually it's been done by, oh, I feel so bad. I, I forgot Killian Journey and another guy who's a wingsuiter. Um, Solomon, I think Solomon probably filmed and stuff. They did a, it was called a wingsuit, um, wingsuiter versus base jumper. I mean, I'm sorry, a runner versus base jumper. And, um, and they, they did it in Norway and they had a start line and they both had to run up to the top of a mountain and the base jumper got to fly off and Killian had to run down. And it turns out like it was a very close race. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do a female version of this. And, um, and so I'd be the runner since I don't base jump yet. And then I have a good friend out in Moab, who um, Katie Hansen, she's professional skydiver base jumper does it all and so um she's up for it we're just trying to get enough like film crew on board maybe maybe on um who i run for would be interested we're trying to get garmin to maybe uh help or like be part of the production so yeah whoever we can get on board and then we'll set up a little female base jumper versus runner race perry perry and mesa Oh my gosh, that would be great. Uh, I would see. I was always like, oh, maybe Tombstone, but her husband lives out there as well. He has some ideas. But Perry Mesa, I've never hiked that, but yeah, it, that would be beautiful. See, to- Tombstone, she's going to win. 
you're right because it's it's just straight down into the parking lot and i'd have to run all the way around right perry it's got a little more horizontal to it okay i well, love I, that you're so up on all this this is oh, great sorry. Sorry. <laughs> you can tell how i think so i'm one of the reasons i'm delighted talking with you Allie. uh that's good i and i remember that killian video it was close as it turned out and this is yes, like a few it hours was. this wasn't like a 20 minute i forgot but it was like a few hours run and i think he beat the beat the flyer by it's only a few minutes, if I recall. I think I think it was like one, like like about a minute or less. Um, but yes, you're right. Uh, yeah, he did win, and so uh, that was that was pretty cool. Um, so I don't. So yeah, it's finding a course that would make it close because it, it's no fun if it's just like a blowout one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned looking for some sponsors and some. Lining up there, so segueing to that, you work for a living. You are a film producer yourself. I am, but, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you're, there's a lot of runners are. You're, you're not going to brag or tell us. So I'm going to ask, what do you do? I think you works for some outdoor companies as well. Yeah, um, so... Let's see, I, I have my own company um, where I do a lot of contract work. Um, I did weddings for a while, which I dearly loved, but kind of uh, got burned out. Um, and I still do friends, uh, like people I know are word of mouth, but I don't advertise online anymore for it because I've kind of, I've picked up a lot of work in the running world. Um, one being the American Trail Running Association. And then I just got, a, I used to do contract work for Aravapa, um, who's based in Arizona, but I just officially got hired part-time with them. I start uh, this weekend um, and uh, as a part-time film producer for them. Wow. As, yeah. So that's, that's good because Jamil does a ton of video. His, totally. his YouTube channel is, is huge. Yeah. Yes. And so getting connected with them has like been really exciting um, just because they have such a big presence. And uh, I feel like my work will get to be seen a lot more um, in the running world. So that's that's exciting. And then I can still it's great because they're so flexible. You know, they know they know I race competitively. So I think they've they're going to be pretty open to my race schedule and. And then I can still do some of my own projects. And I do a lot of stuff just for myself, like for fun or like my Instagram. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of time, but those are the projects I like get the most joy out of. So it's a hobby too. <laughs> well, listeners, definitely go to the written show notes. You'll see Ellie's, of course, Strava account, but also our Instagram, your Facebook, and your website, which is still a little bit orientated towards weddings. But by the way, weddings pays the bills. So for photography, Absolutely. you'll want to do weddings. There's no shame in that at all. Yes, totally. I do have a tab on that website, though, for um, a skydiving vlog and um, Mutt Wild, which is like my – it's Mountain Ultra Trail. It's my little running stuff. So I have a few videos on there. But, yes, it is mostly weddings on there. And you nailed it. They they pay very well. And so, you know, for one long day of work, yeah, I have to edit. But it's a nice chunk. But um, it's nice to have a little bit of everything now. So you are, as we start off by saying, an excellent runner, you know, national champion, a, a multi-time national champion, and you have your own business and just got hired by Jamil at Aravipa. Mm -hmm. So you're you're keeping the balls in there. There's a balance here. You mentioned on running, which is the Swiss base running shoe. Yep. <laughs> which they, they've done quite well. They managed to 
elbow their way into a very crowded field. While some companies are going out of business, On is now established. They're thriving. And so how do you balance this all, Allie? I mean, are you a, you're not a professional runner, so but you're, you're almost you're good enough to try that track. So how are you making this all work? Yeah, you know, and like getting picked up by On last year was really exciting. I always wanted to be sponsored and then years passed and it just never really happened. Like you'd have talks with people and then they you just the conversation falls through the cracks. And so I was like, you know, I, I, that's fine. I think I, I rather like not just get handed stuff and there's, it's a lot of pressure for racing and stuff. Um, so I, and I love film. So I really took that path and then on came to me last year, just kind of a surprise and, um, super special. Um, but as far as like running professionally, like actually like making a full living off it, um, there are some trail runners, especially ultra runners, but there's just not a ton of, I don't think there's a ton of money in the trail world still to do that. Um, and so like on, I am kind of like getting closer in their company. I got to be part of their athlete, uh, retreat thing where their Swiss engineer or their Swiss people came out that, um, and we like had conferences on shoe design and I got to be part of that. And, that's really cool. And they have a very great bonus structure. But anyway, so answer your question is like, I'm still pursuing that because I'm so excited to be part of on. But even if I was like paid full time from them, like, I don't want to lose. Like, I love filmmaking and all that. And I love the like, pride of like, you know, working (laughs) for a living, not just even though running is work sometimes too. Um, I like having having different avenues. And then, so to answer your question on balance, luck, I've kind of found that they do all kind of, uh, I've now that I'm working in film in the running world, everything's kind of aligning. Um, yeah, it's like film is my job and then I run too, but when I'm filming running, I'm within the community and everything's just kind of ending up on the same path, which is helpful. Got, gotcha. Nice. Well, on it's a class act. You know, they're Swiss. I uh, don't want to yeah. make, you know, you know, country stereotypes here. But if you go to a trade show and other people, you know, serving beer or whatever, they're serving rocklet. I mean, oh. <laughs> yeah, so they, they, it's kind of high end. So it's, it's sort of fun to interact with on and they are still based in Switzerland. So I that's a nice choice. Yeah, that that's really I did not know they did that. But yes, that and they they have quite the fashion statement. Um and so I someone who owns a running store here, they're like, Yeah, on's great. They just need to figure out if they're gonna be a running company or a fashion company. I was like, Hey, I think they're rocking both ends right now. So <laughs> like we'll just let them. Um but yeah, I think they're I'm so happy I fell into them because yeah, they're just new and trendy and um, it's fun to be part of a company that's still up and coming and doing so well. Uh, I feel like I have a lot of say they've, they've come to me with a lot of questions, which I've never felt like I had that status before. And so to be, be able to be part of that conversation is cool. Excellent. Good call. Is people, you know, some level you want free shoes or maybe at some level then might want money. But I think most athletes, people like you want to be part of the conversation. 
You want yeah. this to be interactive. And so a company that really values their sponsorship wants you to be a true ambassador. They want to involve you in the design. That way you really can be a good brand representative as you are doing right now. Yeah, I, I think I think that, yes, it works both ways. <laughs> what is next? This is, this is my standard question, by the way. You mentioned Mount Marathon uh, in Alaska, you know, super crank up and down, basically coming down a near tailless field. And you mentioned the uh, the running flying race. Boy, if, if you need someone to schlep gear around, call me up. I'll okay. do it. Okay. I'll, awesome. I'll be the brute force part of that equation because I think that's a killer idea. I, oh, bad choice of words. I think it's a lovely idea. So <laughs> I, I, I will be a, a porter for your effort. Just let me know. Oh, thank you. I will totally, totally keep in touch. Okay. Uh, uh, besides Mount Marathon and the running runner versus flyer, what else are you seeing, Allie? Yeah, you know, and um, so I called it a season after Moab. Um, partially, I mean, it's kind of that time of year. And I've, I usually, I don't have many full seasons. Like last year I did and this year I did. But usually it's like, I've never had like complete seasons. I usually get hurt or something. And so it's really cool to like finish a season and be able to like make the choice to be like, okay, I'm, this is it. And um, But partially this year was because the week after Moab, I picked up my eight-week-old golden retriever. Um which I've been like planning for for years and everything came to life this year. And so, um, so really it was like, okay, Moab's going to be my last race. Cause I don't want to travel. I don't, I don't want to leave her, especially if I have to fly anywhere. And then also just, um, we've traveled a lot in the last few weeks, but not like, yeah, I'm just, I just don't want to deal with a race. Plus I'm exhausted. <laughs> we don't sleep much. Um, so my plan is, um, I'm hoping to, purchase a van in the next few months and then uh yeah just be able to travel around with her and um yeah have fun and then as far as racing I would like to train through the winter and I really don't see like racing anything seriously until next June um uh GoPro games would be awesome up in Vail uh, and then actually they have dog competitions too I don't know if she'll be old enough to like actually focus but uh we might go to that and then you know, then there's Broken Arrow and then Western. I usually help film. Um, so like, and those are Broken Arrow and Western start in the same place. And if the stars align and I get a nice van, like something that can make it, um, I'd love to drive to Alaska uh, for Mount Marathon. That That's like my dream. But I keep thinking, I'm like, that is such a far drive. And I don't also want it to like ruin my race. But if I could take Harley, my dog, that would be a dream come true. So. Yeah, that's kind of, and then, and then some more, you know, I would love to do UTMB, the 30 mile, the OCC in August, and then Pikes Peak, and then Moab, I don't know, something like that. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, except for UTMB, the OCC, it's all fairly close to home, unless totally. of course you drive Absolutely. to Marathon, Alaska, that's, yeah. that's next level. But other than that, you're going to stick fairly close. And, of course, Mount Kindle. I mean, if you're working with oh, Jamila yeah. at Aravipa, you could do Mount Kindle out of Silverton. That's like – that's. I'm going to call out another race, dear listeners. Kindle Mountain is good. This is like a European-style sky race, except instead of Swiss chalets, you got old minor cabins. But the course is really good. You're going to – you crank. Yes. I actually, of all the races I did this year, that race – makes me the sorest for like a whole week. Um, just cause it's, 
you know, it's not super technical coming down. So you're flying on the downhill and, uh, man, oh gosh, but that you're, I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it's a tough race, but it's, it, it's one of the most fun. Um, cause usually I go with a group of friends and we just car camp, um, along the river and get up in the morning. And the first year I did it, which was last year, um, we all took shots at the top and, um, I actually have a video of it. Uh, if um, it's, I I think it's actually quite a good video. If you want to watch it, it's called um, <laughs> "Appropriate or Not." Like "Run Steep, Get High," we renamed it "Run Steep, Get Drunk." Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, we we do not condone that. But you know, you have a shot at the top, you burn it off in like two minutes. Um, but one of the most fun experiences in running, and that race really showed me that you know what it's not all about running and, and overthinking things. Like sometimes like the best part of racing is having your friends there and doing silly things and, and just having fun with it. Well put Allie. Uh, we'll put our link to that in the written show notes. Awesome. I'll, yeah. I'll, have, I'll send that to you. Please, please do. And it's not just about the number is it's about the story. It's about having fun with your friends. And I thank you so much for your time. This is gosh, I'm, I'm, here it is, December. I'm like, whoa, I can hardly wait. Let's go get after it. <laughs> totally. This has been so enjoyable. I love how much knowledge you have of all this stuff. And I hope uh, we cross paths and I'll keep in touch about the run over space jumper. And listeners, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. And if you'd like to give us a rating, make it five stars because that way people find it in the reviews so other people can learn about the podcast. Thanks very much for listening and the FKT of the year, fastest known time of the year award. We'll be back and more on that in the next podcast. <laughs>